Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast. I'm Andrew Renee, joined by Miss Brittany Prombacher. Hello. And Miss Christine Steimer. Hello. How are you ladies doing this week? Great. I'm learn- I learned this week, took how many episodes are we in? 26 episodes, how to 26. properly talk into my microphone. So I'm very proud. <laughs> you're like, you're supposed to talk it to the top. I'm like, mm, that's not right. <laughs> no, nope, that's not right. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. You know what? Sometimes the woes of production are something that just plagues you for a while. But I'm very glad that we were able to correct your microphone speaking ways. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and um, for everyone listening to the show, um, we have some special software that we use to kind of uh, make everything sound buttery and smooth for your podcast listening ears. Um, so hopefully you haven't noticed that. But the, for the people who watch the OBS video that we post onto YouTube, I apologize. A lot of the times <laughs> you don't get that same <laughs> great, glorious audio. It's not as uh, buttery as you say. Exactly. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, we just have this piece of software that makes everything magic. Um, it was recommended to us by the fantastic and prolific McElroy brothers oh. um, who have many podcasts that they do. <laughs> Among all the videos that they are making over on Polygon. So um, have you guys ever checked out any of their shows? Can't say I have. No. And now I well, feel like if a you dick. ever <laughs> No, if you ever get the time, My Brother, My Brother and Me is incredibly fantastic. Um, I highly recommend it. If you guys out there listening also have not checked out their podcast, it's good for the laughs. Um, but anyway, this is the What's Good Games podcast where we talk about um, video game news and all other cool pop culture and nerd stuff that you want to know about every week right here. You can listen to us, as I mentioned, on podcast services. You can find us on youtube.com slash what's good games. You can get exclusive behind the scenes content, exclusive videos and other cool stuff like the secret segment over on patreon.com slash what's good games. If you want to toss us like a buck or two or five, you know, you're, you're more than welcome to do so. And we would love to have you as part of that community. And, I can finally announce, da, 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 da. we have an official Discord. Yeah. Yay! I did it, did you the guys. Thing. I set it up. So it's discord.com slash what's good games. I'm so sorry it took me so long to set it up. <laughs> um, I know a lot of you have been begging for people in the Facebook fan page, people in the comments. Everyone's like, where's the Discord? And I'm like, that's on me. I'm sorry. Because I set up the server a while ago, but I just never um, connected with Discord to get our vanity URL and actually set up a bunch of stuff. So there's a general chat channel there, and we're going to be filling that out and adding some stuff there. But if you guys want to pop over there and you know, chat, chat with each other, that's a great place to do do that we're hopefully going to be adding some integrations with twitch and with patreon soon so um stay tuned for that just get my feet wet in the (laughs) in the discord pool i admittedly Um, have never used discord so this will be new for me 
Wait, never once? Never once. Wow. I've always used it for private servers because um, I actually started using it uh, when I was playing Paragon with my friends who live on the East Coast and they play on PC and because there's no way to have voice chat if you are doing cross-play between PS4 and PC. Um, Discord is a great way for that. And it's also a really fun place where you can get together to do like LFG stuff, like looking for a group mm. if you want people to raid. I know we obviously have the What's Good Guardians clans, but we're probably going to start a separate Destiny 2 channel for people since the PC version is out now. And I know the bulk of the people who are in our clan are on PS4. Uh, a couple Xbox stragglers hanging on there, <laughs> but um, uh, we don't. We haven't started a, a clan for the PC players yet. But um, Steimer, have you used Discord? Yeah, so I actually had a Discord back... Once upon a time when I had my own Patreon solo, uh, I had a Discord thing and um, it's fun. And, and I've used it like just to chat with people in games if the uh, voice client isn't very good or if something's screwing up. You're like, well, let's just hop onto Discord because that'll work. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's a very easy service. The app, actually, very handy. The one on your phone. Highly recommend. Um. But um, that's enough about that. Um, many of you have asked and have been wondering, where, oh, where is Miss Alexa Ray Korea? Don't worry, we haven't forgot about her. She is one of our BFFs. We love her. So she has needed to take some extended time off to get healthy. She suffered from a couple back-to-back illnesses. And I'm happy to report she's going to be joining us next week. Yay! Yay! I am so Yay! happy. I need someone to talk about Final Fantasy 15 with, all about the JRPGs. <laughs> oh, I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, the online multiplayer goes live next week, right? Yeah. Oh, really? That soon? Or I guess it's, it's all- not that soon. It's November. No, God, I, I where's the time it, yeah. going? Does it I go, know, right? Is it next week? I, I thought it had been delayed, uh, but we'll see. I'll look it up. Oh, yeah. No, take take a look. So um, we know that you guys have been asking and you've been missing her. We've been missing her, too. And she'll be back and she'll hopefully have some fun stories for us. And um, we'll all hug it out. The good news is we're all going to be here in the studio next week since we will be doing our Patreon exclusive live streams. So if you guys are interested, you can still get in on that. Like I mentioned, patreon.com slash what's good games. Um, and we will be live streaming for you guys um, our happy hour Q&A and our after hours stream. So be on the lookout for some polls about what you guys want us to play on that stream next week. And I know last week I said that we were going to do the Life is Strange spoiler cast this week. But the good news is, is the reason we're delaying it till next week is because we must wait for Alexa Ray to come back because she has this incredible oh. theory about the Tempest and it just wouldn't be a spoiler cast without her. So if you missed last week's episode where I said, go play episode two of Life is Strange Before the Storm, <laughs> you now have one more week. Deadline <laughs> extended. Isn't that the best? It's like going to school and you're like, they're like, you know, that project you were supposed to do, you yeah. have another week to do it. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, we also have our Turbo Patron shoutouts, which are going to happen in the third segment of the show. A uh, huge thank you to you guys. But for now, let's go ahead and get started with some news. Boop, boop, boop. Um, yeah, we need to come up with like a news jingle. <laughs> I like, is that what you just did? I appreciate that, Andrew. That was a very supportive. Like, yeah, like that was very nice of you. I thank you. <laughs> hey, you know what? I am here to make sure that you feel loved and supportive, creatively and emotionally. <laughs> 
and I'll only heckle you if you're in the same room as me. No, that's not true. I'll heckle you. That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to start off with some fun news since we're in a light-spirited mood. And I wore my Harry Potter shirt with P-A-W that Britt got me. It's a cat in Harry Potter glasses and a scarf because there was a bunch of Harry Potter news in video games this week. Which is weird. Yeah, you know, it was unexpected, but I'm happy about it. I love the Harry Potter franchise. And like a lot of other fans out there have been a little disappointed that, you know, we haven't really seen much from it because obviously, you know, that there was a pretty definitive ending um, to that book series and the movie series. And I love the Wizarding World. um, No, what what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Um, Did you guys see that movie? The the kind of prequel? I didn't like it that much, which I found weird because like I love Harry Potter, but I got really bored watching that movie. I actually stopped watching it. I think that they didn't have as much magic as I would have liked. It was a little bit more actiony. Um, more like suspense thrillery than I thought it was going to be, but I still enjoyed it. But obviously it doesn't hold a candle to the original series. But the news, uh, Niantic Labs, the company behind Pokemon Go and Ingress, have announced their upcoming project, Harry Potter Wizards Unite. It will be an AR, so that's augmented reality experience, with similar gameplay elements. Wizards Unite will come out in 2018 and will allow players to roam the real world excuse me, real world, collecting power-ups, defending locations, and exploring their environments. Niantic has said it was the success of Pokemon Go and its unprecedented scale that made this development possible. Players will learn spells, explore real-world neighborhoods and cities to discover and fight legendary beasts and team up with others to take down powerful enemies. So is this basically just going to be Pokemon Go but reskinned? And if so, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I, I'm Kind of excited about it because I never really got into Pokemon Go because I don't really like Pokemon. And that's not like I think Pokemon are dumb or bad. Mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. I just never played Pokemon growing up. I was like a hardcore Mario only kind of person. And this is exciting to me because I would be really pumped about going out in the world and, and seeing this. But like I think how they execute the art style is really going to be key. Britt, as our <laughs> resident Pokemon Go expert... What do you think about this news? <laughs> Got to get my $800 check ready. He's like, no. to me. Please make it out to me. Out I to will you. take the $800. Simer, there's a gym in my neighborhood very close to the studio. I've yet to visit that gym. I'm very sad we'll, about it. We'll go next time you're in town. And from time to time when I drive by it, I'll see groups of people congregating to like go on the raids or to take on each other and that that's still happening like i saw a group of people there just a couple days ago so if that's going to be if, if they're using the ingress foundation again it, i'm assuming it'll be all the same spots oh right? yeah so yeah it's, it's interesting because obviously i was a big fan of pokemon go <laughs> 800 much of a fan um and i'm trying to think like so i'm a harry potter fan in the sense that i've seen the movies and that and i enjoy them that's as far as my my fandom goes with this franchise. So I was actually going to flip this on you, Andrea and Simer, as fan, major fans of the series. What would you like to see from this? Because it makes sense with Pokemon, right? Oh gosh, a random Bulbasaur appears, throw a ball at it. Haha, that's cool. But how do you see this working with Harry Potter? From what their description is, it sounds like it's going to be a little bit like Fantastic Beasts in that, you're probably going to find magical, quote unquote, beasts like that will be around oh, and populate okay. and you're so like collecting them. 
So I haven't seen the film. So is that what that's what you're thinking it's going to be like you're catching magical beasts? What it sounds like it says you'll learn spells. So I imagine that'll be your um, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out like is it just you're probably just going to be tapping. <laughs> but like, well, I mean, who so knows? the spells, the spell system in Harry Potter is really broad and extensive and there's all kinds of spells. I'm hoping that you'll get to like choose a wand and that like you'll be able to see your wand like like your like hand or whatever holding the wand up mm-hmm. and that you'll be able to choose from a, what kind of spell you want to maybe use depending on what situation you're in like if you see a specific type of beast or creature you could like maybe like shoot a spell at it um and that there'll be a little bit more of an rpg system built in because i mean as you know the the gameplay in pokemon go was like pretty light oh yeah so um it would be nice if they built in a bunch more layers and actually made it more of an rpg like pokemon actually is um to have some kind of uh combat system I would love to see something more robust. And clearly they have the development funds (laughs) to do it. They've made a shit ton of money from Pokemon Go. Um, I would I would hope going into this that that Niantic learned a lot with Pokemon Go. And I'm sure they have. I mean, Niantic launched very early. They launched a very buggy product for its time. Servers just crashed all over the place. And they still haven't implemented a lot of the features that were promised with the announcement trailer. So I guess my not my advice. Yeah, my advice would be just take this for what it's worth it's a pr pitch but i'm hoping i'm hoping that they are able to implement some cool new technology with this harry potter like i want to cast spells i want to capture things i want to go on adventures so i'm intrigued from that standpoint um but i just hope it's not a tap fest i mean we talked about this on a prior episode i think it was the walking dead ar game remember Mm, it sounded interesting and we looked at it and it just was super duper lame and so i mean i don't think niantic will do something lame but i'm just curious for cheesy too like like posing with the zombies and all that garbage you don't want to pose with zombies i mean (laughs) maybe once and then like the magic's over but what you just mentioned Britt, is what i'm worried about and that is niantic still hasn't even really delivered on pokemon go to me and what that could have been so for them to come out and pitch this and be like it's harry potter it's gonna be great part of me is like I want to believe you, but I also don't believe you because you have a game already that to me is not what it could have been. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying not to get too excited basically about this. You know, it's, I mean, I, I feel like you're playing your role. Yes. <laughs> a salty timer right now because like hundreds not, of millions of people have downloaded Pokemon <laughs> Go, right? And it continues to be successful. I mean, I don't think people would have gotten so upset about something like FanFest if they didn't care about the game mm-hmm. and people still wouldn't be playing it and yeah, exactly. still it wouldn't broke be making money, right? It broke the, the event that they had. How I think... It? I think it's all about setting the proper expectations, right? You're not expecting a fully immersed, like, Harry Potter experience, super polished game of the year, blowing minds everywhere experience from this, right? Um, if you look at what Pokemon Go did, I mean, I'm a huge Pokemon fan, and Pokemon Go, like you said, Simer, didn't fully deliver, uh, but it was still highly, highly enjoyable, clearly. Uh, so I'm thinking, you know, as long as you have the proper expectations as to what this game could be, and you don't go into it with this thought that I went into because I was going based off of the, uh, Niantic's launch trailer with... The trading and the cat, the 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 multi, the raids just came out and like you know that was promised from the get go. So again, just set expectations. That's Life yeah. Up. That's all. That's all I'm trying to say is just like, yeah. Don't get too caught up in whatever the PR spiel is that they're gonna 
throw out there because <laughs> Andrea's just laughing at me. <laughs> no, no, it's good. I, I, It's good that we have someone to be like, yo, just temper the enthusiasm a little bit. Whereas I'm like, oh my God, you guys, I can't wait. It's going to be so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope it is. Like, I really hope it is. I love Harry Potter. It'd be nice to have a, a cool like. Harry Potter thing that I can do on my phone like when I'm walking around and got yeah. nothing else to do. So here, here's well, a question. I haven't been following okay. the Harry Potter shenaniganry for a bit. So is this like timed like is there an ulterior motive here? Is there something brewing? Or why is or does it seem like this is kind of coming out of nowhere? You mean like is there going to be some kind of a tie-in? Yeah. Um. So the other the other thing that the other part of this news story might shed some light on that. So, um, continuing on about the other um gaming news that came out this week, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, um, the obvious gaming division of the movie and TV giant, which owns the rights to the Harry Potter film franchise, announced the formation of the new Harry Potter gaming label, Portkey Games. Named after the magical item from the book and movie series, Portkey Games will oversee a launch of a series of mobile and console game experiences. Um, so an update on Pottermore teases that they will feature new characters and familiar ones. Intriguingly, the games might show these characters as different at different points in their lives from the Harry Potter series. Now, as a fan, that's pretty exciting to think about, right? So with Portkey Games, this is a quote now from uh, WBIE president david haddad he says with porky games we are thrilled to answer the fans request for more games inspired by jk rowling's wizarding world we are working with talented creators to build games that focus on player generated stories which will live alongside the magical universe created by jk rowling so um obviously they probably have been making money hand over fist at harry potter world at universal um they obviously have the ongoing book rights and movie rights but uh we haven't gotten like a proper harry potter game in a while um obviously the movies got their own tie-in games from ea back when they came out and then we've got the lego harry potter versions um from warner which were actually really fantastic if you never played them and you like harry potter and you like lego games like Find them in like a discount bin somewhere. They are really good. <laughs> um, plus, there was a Quidditch-themed game called Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup. And, of course, that Harry Potter Connect game that we just don't need to talk about. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so there was clearly a bunch of games that came out when the movies were big. Mm-hmm. Maybe they That were mostly mediocre as somebody who reviewed them for IGN. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you play the Lego games? I thought those no, were no, good. No, no, the Lego games were great. I'm talking about specifically the movie. The, the film direct- tie-in games, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fair. So yeah. this, is just, this is like, I know you're going to laugh at me, but I have to ask a question anyway. Without new books, without new films, is this how i mean it's going to be successful but if they were to be like hey we have a brand new console harry potter game coming out tomorrow is it as okay what stammer you have something to say no i want you to i want you to finish the sentence go for it oh oh okay no my question is like are they going to continue the harry potter series with just a bunch of spin-offs of like alternate time shenanigans does that make sense yeah yeah, so it is the 20th anniversary of the book series this year which is probably has something to do with it, right? And um, 
a UK publisher has plans to release a pair of new books focusing on Harry Potter as well. There's Harry Potter, a history of magic, which is kind of like a coffee table book um, that will feature original drafts of Potter books from JK Rowling. And there is also Harry Potter, a journey through a history of magic, which is aimed um, it says here at family audiences. And we'll examine the history of magic taught at Hogwarts along selected items from the exhibit. So, um, those books are coming out, or they should be out now. It looks like, um, in and the those UK. movies, the Fantastic Beasts movies, is like a series of five. I want to say. Oh, mm. really? It's a, it's going to be multiple movies, or at least I'm pretty sure. I'm looking. <laughs> so, does the Harry Potter franchise need to establish new solid characters, or is that what they're doing with the Fantastic Beast films? See, what I've always wanted from a Harry Potter game, and what I will be out of character for and hope mercilessly for and be really enthusiastic about is I want sort of like a bully game but set in Hogwarts mm, like mm. I want you to like be able to pick your house and just wander around Hogwarts and like go on adventures and have like shit to do basically um I and but have it be like that quality of game because a lot of the Harry Potter tie-in games were sort of like sort of that like you kind of wandered around and did stuff but they just weren't ultimately super fun Andrea yes um sorry to interrupt you I was looking up something uh please continue oh no that I mean that's I what did you what are your thoughts on a Harry Potter bully style game so I never played bully um (laughs) so I I can kind of guess which you are imagining, uh, there's tons of amazing th- game ideas they could do with the Harry Potter universe. I think it just takes, you know, a publisher with the right scale and the right commitment. Obviously, Warner Brothers has that money and they have a, a slate of developers that they could use to make a game like that. Um, and I think it would be incredibly popular. It's some, um, it's a little flabbergasting why something more substantial and robust hasn't happened. But maybe that's what this announcement is all about. Maybe they're saying, "Hey, we're starting with mobile first because it's obviously more affordable from a development standpoint." And so and it's going to make us all the money. Yeah. Well, and if it <laughs> fails, at least it's not like a a big ding on their like you know P and L, right? Like they're not like losing a bunch of money because the development of mobile titles is substantially cheaper than console or PC games. But um, they did have a new teaser image from the second Fantastic Beast movie that was out on Twitter very recently. So um, it's potentially it's it's possible that they're going to be potentially tying the AR game that Niantic is working on in with the movie releases. That would mm. make sense to me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, I thought this was exciting news. I'm pumped about it. And hopefully you guys out there are pumped about it too. Um, Some other exciting news. So there was a bunch of stories this week from multiple publishers about games that have just been kicking butt. Games that have great sales numbers and great debuts. So um, we're going to kind of tie them all together. So first up... The launch of Call of Duty World War II came out on Friday, and they once again crushed their opening weekend. Um, I got I I get the same public uh, relations email from their <laughs> PR team every year from Call of Duty, but this year, I mean, it was noticeable last year that it was not as 
you know, there was not as much fanfare around mm-hmm. Infinite Warfare. And this year, of course, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance, as to be expected. I, I think we all knew with them going back to World War II that they were going to have a hit on their hands. And it's selling well. No surprise there. Um, it set a record as the best-selling digital full game by units sold on its first day of availability on the PlayStation 4 which is pretty impressive. And it sold twice as many units as Infinite Warfare did at launch. And it says that they have sold over $500 million in the opening weekend of revenue, beating what they described as a combined box office for Wonder Woman and Thor. So That's I, crazy. You know, it's, it's interesting to me how Call of Duty PR really likes to tout this idea of being the biggest entertainment franchise in the world, not just the biggest video game series, to really say, hey, we're reaching across, you know, the entertainment medium in saying we are bigger and better than any blockbuster movie out there. And I think that that's worth talking about and worth, worth mentioning because there are a people who aren't as involved in the video game business like we are potentially, you know, the people listening to the show who don't realize just how much money is being made in video games. <laughs> Absolutely. It's kind of, yeah. It's kind it's of flabbergasting like, actually. What? I said it's kind of flabbergasting how oh, much yeah. money is being made. It is. But obviously buying a video game is more expensive than a movie ticket. But still. True. Still. That's very true. true. I was looking at some numbers and i think the other call of duty that outsold this one was black ops 3 and i think that did 550 million is what i read so this wasn't too far behind and i was also looking at the infinite warfare reveal trailer it has now 3 million downvotes as opposed oh, to 500 no. as opposed to 582,000 upvotes i mean i liked infinite warfare i mean i'll talk more about call of duty in our hands on section but I didn't play Infinite Warfare, but I feel like that's funny. probably unfair that it has that many dislikes on the trailer. No, like I, I talked about this before. It's that that whole movement is just a people trolling. It yeah, really yeah. is. Like, and I, I got a lot of flack for this in comments when I brought it up the first time, and people were like, "No, people are just sick and tired of Activision and their same old Call of Duty formula." And I'm are like, "Are they? Because they just bought it." <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. They're clearly not that tired because Activision continues to sell tens of millions of units every single year. And hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue of in-game content and post-launch content and just the games themselves. I, I It's just like people love to hate Call of Duty. And I'm glad we're going to talk about yeah. it in the hands-on because I think the technical work done on this year's <gasps> game is really outstanding. Um, and we're, you know, we'll deep dive into that a little bit later. But... Also, but it's funny another- if they were bitching that, like, oh, we're tired of the same old thing. And, like, Infinite Warfare was definitely one of the most different <laughs> Call of Duties. Like, yeah. Wait, mm-hmm. do you want the exact same game or not? <laughs> I can't tell. It's the internet. There's no pleasing them. <laughs> no. Yeah, precisely. Um, but another studio that did really well on their launch day was Ubisoft with Assassin's Creed Origins. And I was, excuse me, super excited to hear this news. Assassin's Creed Origins has officially sold 100% more units than Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Um, and I, that's that's really, really great to hear. They said it's a, 
The case looks at units sold during the first 10 days of each of the titles. Now, they didn't provide specific numbers as to like how many units um, AC Origins has sold, but I'm sure that they will down the line. They did say in their post-earnings conference call uh, that their total sales for the second quarter were up to 264.2 million euros while during the first half of the year they were overall they were up 65.7 year over year and of course the company attributed that growth to Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle plus they've got For Honor, Ghost Recon Wildlands and new content for Rainbow Six Siege all coming out this year. I mean they've been on fire this year. I love so, it. I love yeah. it. Congrats Yay. to Ubisoft for having so having a kick-ass year and putting out a bunch of really, really great games. I mean, none yeah. of the games that they released this year were bad. I mean, some were better than others, <laughs> but I mean, overall, like when I look at all of the games and the content that they've released, they've been really just doing an excellent job. And we've got Far Cry next year. Oh, yeah. Good and job, video games. Maybe in 2020 or something, I'll get Beyond Good and Evil 2. <laughs> oh, God. 2021. Yeah. That'll Maybe. be a yeah. while. <laughs> and they showed some interesting stuff at their E3 press conference that we haven't heard about in a while. So hopefully they'll have just as a kick-ass year next year as well. I'm yeah. really thinking that we're, we're probably going to end up getting a Division 2 announcement next year. What do you think? I hope it's better. I mean, I didn't. I didn't dislike the division, and I played a decent amount of it. There's no pleasing Steimer. <laughs> I just said I played a decent amount of it, and I liked it. But I, I want, I want more. <laughs> I just want more from it. That's all. Have Have you gone back and played it since all? No, of the, I haven't. The so post-launch updates and stuff. I haven't seen any of the update stuff. You should. You should check it out. <laughs> they 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 did a lot of work on that t- on that title post launch. I'm sure they did. The trouble is that they had the beginning to hook me in, <laughs> and then I had to move on because of what we do, right? Like yeah. it's hard to to stick with a game. I hear ya. It's was okay. There, there's no mention of South Park in there, was there? Is that a, is there um, a reason? For yeah, that? I was wondering about that too. But no, there I didn't was there anything. was not. But um, worth noting, South Park was number two. <laughs> In uh, PSN downloads for the month of October. Overall, I got you, Britt. The number two beating, joke was not because it was in second place, because it's a reference to poop. Sorry. Because South there, there's a lot of poop South in that Park. game. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was a really interesting position. It beat out quite a few other titles. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that if you bought it digitally, you instantly unlocked the stick of truth when you pre-ordered it mm. digital. Um, and if you bought retail, you had to wait until you got your disc to get the code to play stick of truth. So pot- potentially a lot of people were buying that way because they wanted to play stick of truth ahead of the fractured hole coming out. But um, yeah, uh, they're going to have a great year. So go job, video games. Off. You go Glenn Coco. Yeah. And um, a third game, that's still continuing to just skyrocket up into the heavens. Player Unknown Battlegrounds <laughs> announced this week that they have now sold 20 million copies of their Battle Royale PC offering. That ain't got is- shit on Grand Theft Auto V. <laughs> It's true. It's true. True. Which is now the top selling game of all time in North America. No, in the United States specifically. Yes. 85 million. Um, which is very impressive. Like, I don't, like, listen, I think PUBG is, like, kicking ass and taking names right now. And once it comes out on December 12th for Xbox, I think that's really going to see a giant uptick in in numbers. 
I think the only way it could ever compete with GTA's numbers is if they offer additional maps and modes. And also, it's important to remember that this is a $29.99 game. It's not a $60 game. And I think that has a lot to do with how successful it's been. I'm pretty confident in saying that if it had debuted at a $60 price point, that it would never have taken off as quickly as it did. Because 30 bucks, mm-hmm. yeah, I can take a risk. 60 bucks, mm, I'm going to have to think about it, right? Yeah. So um, they're doing they're doing a great job uh, with that game. I and mean, obviously, they're adding more stuff. And they're talking about some updates, some big updates that are coming soon. And clearly, having it on store shelves, this retail uh, for holiday is going to be big for them. And I I don't foresee a world where the day that their exclusivity ends with Xbox, that this thing doesn't launch on PS4, like the next oh, day. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and you yeah. know what's so funny is pe- people are going to act so surprised. Oh, I thought it was exclusive. Oh my goodness. Come on. They're, they'd be yeah, That was fools. a great voice. <laughs> Thanks. That's my silly voice or whatever. I have many voices, but that was one of I them. I mean, Blue, Blue Hole sees the writing on the wall, right? Oh, they, they are, they're yeah. raking in the money hand over fist right now. They don't want to leave over, like PlayStation announced 67.5 million consoles shipped globally. Like they don't want to leave those people behind. No, 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 no. So, yeah, you definitely want to get as many people as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, some good good news for people selling lots of video games. And unfortunately, we have to end the news segment with some sad news. Um, layoffs have affected Telltale Games to the tune of 90 employees or about 25% of their workforce. It's so crazy to me that 90 employees is only 25% of its workforce. What do you I mean? didn't realize how big Telltale was. I think this, so. This is this is something mm-hmm. that I'm I'm going to discuss in just a second. So let me read just a little bit about uh, the statement that they put out this week. So um, a press release was made earlier this week in regards uh, to addressing the layoffs, and this is what it reads. It says. Uh, CEO, the new CEO, Pete Hawley, who was just put into that CEO position just a few months ago, said, our industry has shifted in tremendous ways over the past few years. The realities of the environment we face moving forward demand we evolve as well as reorienting our organization with a focus on delivering fewer, better games with a smaller team. He continued that they will use this restructuring as an opportunity to move internal development over to more proven technologies that will fast track innovation in its core products as it works with new partners to bring its games to new audiences. So this is interesting, especially considering that they had two games launched this week. They had episode four for Minecraft story mode and episode five for guardians of the galaxy. (laughs) And they obviously have already announced that they're working on the wolf among us second season. They, we talked about the walking dead collection that they're, they're working on and they are still working on Batman, I believe. So (laughs) I am not surprised by this news. Now it's always heartbreaking to hear about people losing their jobs as somebody who's been through more than one layoff um it's tough it's hard it sucks like at the end of it like it just fucking sucks and it's tough to kind of see beyond the immediate of your situation and and go okay 
why did this happen to me? Like, why did somebody else get to stay and I got to leave? And, you know, what what's going to happen to me next? Um, I think the good thing about the video game industry that we always see every time a layoff happens is people in droves go to social media platforms to say, hey, we're hiring. Look, at here's our link to all of our open jobs. Like, these are all the game jobs. And, like, there's, like, this giant open arms, like – we know what it's like to have to go through layoffs, come work with us. And I was really happy to see a bunch of people doing that this week. Mm -hmm. Telltale clearly has been, I think, struggling with itself over the last couple of years. (laughs) And they've needed to trim back. I mean, having a studio, like I looked on LinkedIn when we talked about this on Games Daily this week. um, On LinkedIn, 386 people are under Telltale on LinkedIn. Like, that's a giant number for a yeah. studio that puts out games of the scope that they do. Right. And I was, I was having trouble wrestling with that number. And so I, I went to Twitter and was like, hey, game dev friends, can you talk to me about, like, studio size and what's reasonable, what's average? And um, a friend of mine that used to work at Insomniac said that when he left before he recently moved about a year ago, uh, Insomniac was at 200 people. And... I can't imagine that there's a reason why Telltale would need to have more people on board than Insomnia, given the style of games that they each make. But then again, I don't work in game dev, right? right. So there's but a they lot also that I have don't know. More properties than Insomniac would work on at a time. Like Telltale, more, like right there has like what four, and that's only or and then if with Batman five properties, like it's a, that's a decent amount. So how many people, Steimer, do you think would need to be working on each of these properties? I'm not saying that you need 400 people working there, but I'm just saying no, I'm like... Just, I'm just asking because I don't, I don't know. I'm I mean, I don't know either only because I don't know their tech. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean you've we know what we game, see right? on our end, but we don't know what it's like to work with as an engineer. It might actually be a pain in the butt for them too, which means it might, they might need more of them or whatever. Um, so it's hard for me. I can't... I right. give an educated guess or anything, but I, but I do think that this is interesting that they've uh, cut down. But I find what he said more interesting that we're going to finally like, well, what it sounds like, kill the aging crappy engine and try and move forward with something new. Because mm-hmm. out of those games that you listed, Andrea, like the only one I'm really interested in is Wolf Among Us. Same. Yeah. I, like you said, layover, layover, I said layovers, layovers suck as well. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Layoffs suck. But when P became the new CEO, he came from Zynga in uh, September. I think restructuring is something that I think every new CEO kind of looks at. So it's not surprising that this happened. And I feel like, you know, that, that studio size, again, I don't know, game dev seems extremely large for the kinds of games they do. I know they have a lot of properties, but uh, I mean, compared to, you know, it doesn't look very technically uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't look like it would require a heck of a lot is what I'm trying to say. So it's unfortunate. Um, what I'm curious too is to know, do you think they're going to stray away from episodic games? And if so, is that bad for their branding? Because I think when someone says Telltale's working on a game, you kind of know what kind of game you're getting. You're getting the the episodic, the, the tough moral choices that you have to make. Can they succeed? And I'm sure they can, but can they succeed in a scope outside of that? That's a great question. You know, I I think that 
it would be really exciting to see an original story from them, something that doesn't come from somebody else's license, mm-hmm. something that is wholly original and really maybe breaks the norm from what we're, we expect from them. Um, they certainly come a long way uh, from like their Jurassic Park and Back to the Future <laughs> days. Um, but I don't think that they have really innovated the core gameplay experience. I think the narratively, they've done some really fantastic work and explored some storylines and done some really interesting things. But when you take a look at like the gameplay in a game like Back to the Future and take a look at the gameplay in Minecraft story mode, they're pretty much the same. Mm, I disagree only because uh, the Telltale games used to be much more like traditional adventure games. They used to have pu- like puzzles to solve or th- things in your inventory to do things like with. And now they're so much more streamlined and they are essentially you're just kind of walking through and hitting buttons, like making decisions. Um, it's actually a really so good curious point that I didn't think s- about. that They, they mm-hmm. have actually taken out the puzzle element in a lot of the games. Yeah, they have. So That's now I'm wondering, like, are they going to pivot and try and bring it back like where are they gonna go because i do agree that when they're talking about the industry's kind of changing granted i haven't looked at their financials so i don't know if if this is still lucrative i imagine it's not as because otherwise you wouldn't lay off 25 percent of your workforce exactly um so i'm yeah i'm curious to see how they'll shift because they already have sort of shifted and i think they kind of banked on this being a a thing like a genre for a really long time and now i think it's sort of fizzling out a little bit or maybe just people are tired of your crappy engine i don't know we'll find out (laughs) (laughs) i i like the formula that telltale has i like because they're shorter games and it's kind of a good feeling to know like the life is strange episodes right you can just sit down and get through a game and an episode in a couple hours i would like to see an improved engine maybe slicker graphics and maybe some added gameplay mechanics like add more puzzles in maybe make the experience just a little more deeper and um I would. I wouldn't mind that. I'd, I think I'd rather see that than them trying to go a different route. You know, try to you just completely want more change. You want them to like make yeah. what they do, but make it better. Yeah, yeah. Just make it a little deeper of an experience. That's what she said. I would like for them to, in addition to that, when you're talking about like a deeper experience, like mm-hmm. they are really good at the illusion of choice. I would like to see choices with more actual consequences that really do branch throughout the five episodes. I know that's difficult, especially when you have a franchise um, property. So Mm -hmm. like it, I mean, it becomes a giant pain in the ass. I totally get it. Mm -hmm. I know why they do what they do, but part of me is like, but if you're going to like buckle down and get some new um, engine work or whatever, like maybe also, have have that i don't know try it mm-hmm. out i know that i know why they don't do it um just because the man hours required to do that and versus the amount of people who actually end up seeing it are very it's very small um it's not a great not <laughs> a great I mean, return could, on investment but, but you i could, want it you could say that about <laughs> almost any video game I and mean, we're mm-hmm. going to talk about this more extensively in the hands-on but like look at a ga- like all of the open world games that have come out recently some artist had to make the blades of grass that you that you just run across and that bam you've sure. gone right they had yeah. to make the bark and the leaves and the lighting effects and all the things that we as gamers sometimes don't even bother to stop and look at because each of those individual pieces helps 
build the mm-hmm. world. I think that's what Telltale games have really been missing, that care, that that attention to detail to say we want to prov- make this experience so immersive and get you so engrossed in the story that we're going to make this world so beautiful that you're not going to even notice it. Mm-hmm. And that is a sign of true craftsmanship from an artistic point of view is that that I think has really been missing from a lot of Telltale games and why I personally have stopped playing them because it felt like it was just getting fed the same stuff over and over again. And while I continue to praise their incredible narrative work and the character work that they've been doing, I feel like a lot of the other game systems have just kind of been left by the wayside as, oh, it's good enough. The, The way the characters walk in the world is good enough. Oh, like the way that we've created, you know, the puzzle systems are good enough, you know, and that that feels unfortunate. I mean, I'm kind of mad about it and I'm mad about it because I want Telltale to be great because I've seen some really fantastic work from that studio and I just want it to be better. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before and I'm, you know, I'm going to continue to say it. I think that while hearing this is hard and it's definitely tough for the people who were affected. I think in order for them to continue to survive and to do better, they needed to have some kind of change happen. Yeah. They were definitely bloating. So I agree. Like you said, they're good, but they could be great. But like you're saying, Simer, there's too much manpower, too much manpower required to do certain things and blah, blah. And maybe there's just too much going on. So with this restructuring, they can get more organized and really like deep dive and clear all that stuff up. Yes. Yeah. Precisely. Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for the news. I just want to say one thing we did find out today that the Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA finally came to an agreement. The long-running voice actors strike has now ended, uh, which is fantastic news. Um, I'm not going to go into the details here because that has been an ongoing story for over a year. But if you're curious, there are plenty of sites who have recapped exactly like what the deals were. But the good news is, is that 90% of the uh, union members voted in this new plan, which means that they overwhelmingly supported the deal that they uh, finally were able to negotiate. So good news to end um, the segment here. So when we come back after the break, hands on, there is a a, a bounty, a plethora of amazing games to play right now, and we're going to deep dive into them. So stick with us. We'll be right back. This episode of the What's Good Games podcast is brought to you by TakeThis.org. Take This AFK rooms are mental health first aid for conventions worldwide. And without the psychomancers, they'd just be empty space. Since 2014, Take This has been sending psychomancers to conventions worldwide, trained in the art of mental health first aid. Psychomancers create safe, welcoming spaces for people dealing with mental health issues and can help guide people in distress to the help they need. Between training, insuring, flying, lodging, and feeding our psychomancers, Take This spends over tens of thousands of dollars a year to help thousands of people dealing with mental health issues at conventions all over the world. And the psychomancers need your help to keep flying. 
visit the Take This Patreon at patreon.com slash takethisorg to learn more about the Psychomancer Project and how you can help bring help, healing, and hope to people around the world. Become a sponsor of the Take This AFK Rooms, staffed with Psychomancers, stuffed with hope. Patreon.com slash takethisorg. Welcome back, everybody. This is the What's Good Games podcast. And now we're going to talk some more about video games. If there wasn't enough video game talk for you already. <laughs> um, so, Brittany. Yes, ma'am. I see that you have started Call of Duty and you've also finished South Park. Which one would you like to talk about first? Well, what would you like to hear about first? Um, let's get the worst of it over first. Tell me about the poop game. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't now you're being salty Andrew. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. that was funny i i don't i have it's no secret that i have no love for the south park game i'm not saying it's a bad game i'm not saying you shouldn't play it i'm just saying it's not for me and i have no desire or interest in it that's all no, well, there you go. So, uh, yes, I finished South Park, the fractured butthole. The first thing I'll say is it took me like 17 to 18 hours to finish, which was pretty surprising. I thought it would be a much shorter experience than that. But I did take a lot of time to explore all of the homes and like revisit them as I unlocked powers. Um, what I will say about South Park, the fractured butthole is if you enjoyed the stick of truth, if you are a South Park fan, if you just kind of want like a silly, quirky, crude game to play, absolutely pick it up play it um i did enjoy it i would not say it's worth prioritizing over um these other major releases you know you have shadow of war assassin's creed mario wolfenstein just because i i it's more polished than the stick of truth. However, something I was really looking forward to in the fractured butthole, all these were like really crude moments that we had talked about. I think it was several, like maybe a couple months ago, we talked about the ESRB's review of the fractured butthole. And I was really excited, but there weren't many standout moments in this game as a friend of the series for a long time. Um, I feel like they tackled and got like the really like repulsive stuff, you know, having a level where you are with the backdrop of your parents having sex or going in Mr. Slave's ass you know, like there were Nazi cows, like things that they touched on in the first game. And there's nothing surprising as a surprising in the second game. So mm-hmm. it kind of felt like there wasn't a lot of shock factor there, but in the combat was great. Like, I know that was something they were really proud of and it is fun. But if you're playing a South Park game for me personally, I'm playing to see what the kids go through, experience their adventures, not necessarily the combat. Um, yeah, that's what I would say about the fractured butthole. I enjoyed my time with yeah, it. I think, but I haven't finished it. I've only mm-hmm. played. I don't know. I haven't checked my time clock, but for a little bit. Um, and I kind of agree. Like it, just, it feels like the same, I guess. And that's why I would probably not prioritize it. If you, if you are wondering, um, unless you like hardcore loved stick of truth so much that like, you're going to fall off the face of the earth. If you don't play this new one. <laughs> yeah. But, or if South Park is like your favorite thing ever, then absolutely go in with your bad self, play it. Uh, but it's, and it plays like a TV show. So you can always pick it up and play it for a couple hours here or there. But I wouldn't say it's something worth prioritizing. That said, it was enjoyable. It, it was funny. I can't say. Yeah. It just didn't do anything extra special, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It is more of the same of the stick of truth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Hmm. Um, Steimer. 
Mm-hmm. You've been playing your SNES classic. Yeah, girl. So <laughs> when I was up there, up in uh, San Francisco last, you ladies were like, we got this SNES classic. Do you want it? And at first I was like, I don't know. Do I? And then I was yes, like, yeah, uh, sure. I'll uh, take it. A lovely patron sent that to us. Miss mm-hmm. Sale. Yes. So thank you very much. Because then I did take it and I, I actually brought it to the office um, so that I can enjoy it with other people because I don't want to play by myself. Um, and then, uh, so that's what I did on Friday. On the Friday afternoon, sat with a coworker and he and I played for like, I don't know, an hour, an hour and a half. And we played Donkey Kong Country, which is both of our favorite <laughs> games. Um, and I have to say, and I'm only going to say this because he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm way better at this game than he is. <laughs> Why would you say that to his face? No, I did say it to his face repeatedly. <laughs> During <laughs> our stream, when you were up here, you were like super impressive. You remembered all of the secrets and how to get all the letters and everything. And I was like, dude, I totally forgot how to play that game. <laughs> like the 100% only thing forgot. he was better at than me was like, there's sometimes letters that are hidden like not hidden but they're in a tricky spot where you have to like jump off and do a roll and you then have to roll like, yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm not good at that he he executed those much better but i beat like 98 percent of the levels <laughs> yeah girl and, donkey um, kong country is so timeless it's just it's the it music really is. is beautiful in that game it's some of my favorite music in video games yeah yeah so i had i had so much fun going back and playing with uh uh with him and and i was just like man i am i am glad that i took it and like got a chance to play that game again because because it's really good guys and you should go play it if you haven't people were walking by and they were like is that donkey kong (laughs) like yeah (laughs) i mean like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it is do you want to play it and then they would pick up the controller and have no idea what to do and i was like yeah i'll take that back no thanks you like work with a bunch of millennials was that the problem (laughs) no 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 offense to millennials out there i'm on the cusp yeah no no they were older people who were walking by asking if it was donkey kong so are um, you I, planning to play anything from like this year anytime soon? Um, I feel so to, good to flip this shit back. Why are you playing old games, girl? What are you doing? No, oh, totally. No, true. It, absolutely. 100%. I am um, because of last weekend, two weekends ago, I guess, um, where I was like cramming in as many games as I could to try and prepare us um, for voting or nominating or whatever the fuck it was. Um, I just needed a break because I was like, I don't know. I just needed a, a time to not play. I I have had urges to go back and play like Wolfenstein and South Park and all basically all of them. I've had urges to. <laughs> I don't know what yeah, I said, girl. but I got a pillow. You said I have urges. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Andrea's holding up the that's what she said pillow. Yeah. Um, but then there was just something nice about going back to a simpler time. Yeah. When I almost we almost beat the whole game. Like we're we're decently far. Um and I was just like, man, this felt this feels kind of good and I feel accomplished. Good. And not looking at the map at Assassin's Creed and feeling like I'm going to die. <laughs> um yeah, the I'll talk about Assassin's Creed in just a second, but 
I, I think what's great about the SNES Classic is that it also has a bunch of games from that era that I actually never played and that I just kind of skipped over and are part of, you know, the general video game lexicon that I'm excited to hopefully, you know, once we get through November and all of these crazy games that are out right now that I'll be able to to spend some time on. And, you know, when you and Britt are back in town, Britt, you can show me the ropes because I'm sure you've played every single game that is on that system. Gladly. Yeah, the thing that I'm most excited to play because I've heard you talking so much about it, Britt, is The Secret of Mana. Oh, yeah. I've never I've never played it. That's a good one. So is Earthbound. Oh, Earthbound. Yes, that's the other one. Don't get Those me started. Two. I could talk about this all podcast. <laughs> well maybe well maybe we'll make it a segment we'll all play earthbound and then we can we can do a hands-on about it yeah um so i have been spending a lot of time in assassin's creed origins i've been sending so much time in this game that i have not yet started super mario odyssey <laughs> which i know is a travesty and i know the game is going to be great and i even got the mario and peach amiibo and I never buy Amiibo. Um, <laughs> the wedding ones? Yes. Oh, They're so nice. cute in their little white outfits. Um, I am so blown away by how awesome Assassin's Creed Origins is. I keep finding myself wanting to go back into that world, wanting to keep playing. And I know that I've talked a little bit about the game already. I'm at level 27 now. So I'm getting close to the point where a bunch more areas on the map are going to open up because I know the map looks very intimidating, but they do a pretty good job of gating you. Um, the way that they've really implemented the RPG mechanics into the overall open world action adventure um, gameplay has been really well done. And I have said on this show that I was very concerned about RPG being in my Assassin's Creed series because I love the gameplay of Assassin's Creed and I was very kind of hesitant and I pushed back. But now that I am, you know, many hours into the game, they really executed it on a level that I think is pretty fantastic. So I find myself being really distracted by the sandbox. And I think that that is a sign of great game design and great level design. If I have to remind myself to get back to the main quest line because I find so many interesting and intriguing things. And I still stand by that while there is a lot to do, it doesn't feel overwhelming. It doesn't feel like um, they, the world opens up and then dumps everything on you all at once, like Mass Effect Andromeda did. Like, I remember playing that game and feeling like there was just too many beacons and too many places. And I was like, well, I don't even know where to go. And that was like, you know, a big drawback for that game for me. But I don't feel that way in Assassin's Creed because the a lot of the side quests are nice and short. And they still feel rewarding. And they still feel like you you are progressing. I mean, there there are some things as simple as discovering a new location and looting a single treasure box, and it'll add to your overall XP. And it's like, great, I'll just go and I'll loot that real quick, and then it's checked off my list. But then there's also some multi-step side quests where you get to meet these really interesting characters, and you get to go see these historical locations. Like there's... Um, 
a really cool quest line like tied to the the Sphinx um, in Egypt, and there's quest lines tied to the pyramids. And the way that they've so expertly woven the the historical facts of the region and th- true things that actually happened in history into this fictional narrative is really masterful in a way that I'm continually impressed by. Um, Britt, have you spent any more time with this game? I have not. My We'll talk about this in a bit. That's my next game after I finish Call of Duty World War II. So I want to ask you, compared to Horizon's open-worldness, is Assassin's Creed Origins superior? Well, I haven't yet finished Assassin's Creed. I would say... That, that's a really tough question. My my instinct is to say yes, that mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed open world is better than Horizons, but they're different. Um, the way that they open up is very similar in the sense that they're tied to the main quest lines and they do a pretty good job of trying to keep you in the same area to level up before you move on to the mm-hmm. next stage because you'll, you know, you'll run into enemies that are too high level for you to take on. Um, there is definitely far more to do in the world of Assassin's Creed than there was in Horizon, which is why I ended up platinuming that game because I loved Horizon so much that I wanted more to do. But the the things that I'm doing in Assassin's Creed don't feel like chores like they have been in some of the previous Assassin's Creed games, mm. like collecting the shanties or you know collecting all the animus fragments or all the other kind of like like kind of BS collectibles that the last couple of Assassin's Creed's have really suffered from. It seems a lot more streamlined. There still is, like I mentioned, quite a bit to do. Um, but there, it doesn't feel superfluous. And I like that they really took a hard look at that and said, okay, let's make sure that we're making an amazing giant open world, but let's not fill it with a bunch of like filler for lack of a better world. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to definitively say though, since so many people talked about Zelda and how amazing the open world of Breath of the Wild is, that this is categorically better in every way than the open world of Breath of the Wild. And th- it has the same exploration element where you can just walk off into a certain direction and find something. You can follow a, a mirage in the desert. You can see a monument in the distance and, and you know jump on your mount and ride out there. You know, you can go find a circle of stones in the middle of a pile of sand. And it feels, the thing that I love about Assassin's Creed over the open world of Breath of the Wild is that it feels more meaningful and it feels more realized. I felt like there were so many reused art assets in Breath of the Wild that like I would I would wander as you're supposed to do in Zelda, but I felt like my wandering wasn't rewarded. I felt like the thing I would find at the end of my wandering would maybe be like a Korok seed. And, you know, like (laughs) that was it. That's all I got out of it. Whereas here, it really contributes to your overall progression in such a meaningful way that you are really incentivized to go explore and find things. And they really expertly place these question marks on the map to really kind of pull at you to be like, hmm, I see an island in the middle of that body of water over there. Now, I don't have like a specific quest line to go there, but I could go see if there's like a piece of of gear or if there's like a hideout or if there's some other kind of cool monument there. 
And I think that that's a a testament to the world building that the team did and the art, the amount of art in this game is just so overwhelming and it's so beautifully done and so meticulously crafted that I just like can't stop gushing about how good this game is. You guys like, it's I was so gonna say, good. I haven't seen you gush like this over a game. Like I don't think ever. So what you're saying is Ubisoft should take off a year between every Assassin's Creed game from now on. Yes. Yes, they should. <laughs> the, the last time I really gushed about a game like this was breath of the wild. Um, or not breath of the wild. Excuse me. was horizon zero dawn. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? Um, no, <laughs> Listen, I, I stand by that. Zelda absolutely is a game of the year contender. 100%. I just like now that I've seen more and obviously I still have to play Odyssey because a lot of people are saying, well, move over everybody. Odyssey wins everything Um, that you can see the amount of care that was made and, and taken to make sure that they were doing it right. And I think they really, really nailed it. It's it's really fantastic. And I just love how Bayek, even though I was worried about him not having the kind of like swagger or the cleverness or the sass of, you know, my favorite assassin Ezio or some of the other characters in the franchise, he's got this family man aspect to him that I find so endearing and so likable and so relatable that he's constantly like looking after the kids in the world. And he has, there's a couple quest lines that you do with like pregnant women and like the things he does to make sure that he can help them with whatever they need and how he'll do everything to like preserve family and how he's got this relationship with Aya, his wife. I really love that they took that path with him considering, you know, kind of what he is and the kind of violence that he has to, you know, essentially perform as part of being an assassin and part of the Assassin's Creed franchise. I, it's, a, it's a dichotomy that I was not expecting. And I'm interested to see where his storyline ends up. I just, I can't say enough about how much you, if you're thinking about playing this game, how you should just do it. Stop thinking about it and just play it. Is he your latest husband Did you guys talk at the same time? What was that? <laughs> no, that was Brit echoing. And now oh. we're all echoing. I don't hear an echo. Oh, well, if you don't hear it, maybe it's not there. It's there. I hear it. <laughs> okay, well, I can. Oh, oh it's, it's gone. gone it's gone. Okay. Yay, technology. <laughs> so just ask, so, so just um, ask it, that question again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so would you say that Bayek is your latest husbando? Ooh, that's Ooh. a good question. Yeah, he better be after all this gushing you're doing. I mean, and he's also like frequently in a bathrobe or a bath towel. I mean, so like you get to see like, I mean, like I've talked a lot about who he is as a person because that's what matters most. Oh, obviously, <laughs> personality matters. But everybody, I mean, it his six pack doesn't hurt either. I mean, it okay? does. <laughs> I'm very excited to play this game. Uh, I haven't talked about Zelda in a while, but the more and more I think about Zelda, the more and more I understand it's a good game, but is it a good Zelda game? That's the battle I'm facing. So I'm excited to play Assassin's Creed Origins and to see like what this open world is that you, Andrea, have been gushing about, what you think an ideal open world sandbox kind of thing is. Because I think Zelda's is great, and as a Zelda player... I feel like I know what to look for, the little secrets, um, but it sounds like Assassin's Creed also has that same feature, but maybe it's not as gated to those who don't know what to look for. So I'm looking forward to it. I just feel like the more and more we bring up Zelda, the more and more we make excuses for it. 
Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I That's don't just, make excuses I mean, for it. This is coming from somebody who's not a Zelda fan, so I don't have that background or anything like that. But like, number one, I felt zero draw to go back to that game. Zero. Same and I here. think that I think you nailed it, Andrea, with like the thing Zelda is lacking, and it's a major component, is it doesn't feel rewarding. And if it doesn't feel rewarding, why am I? That sounds terrible. Why am I doing it? But like, <laughs> I mean, like, that's the whole thing. Merk, didn't you gotta have a draw, good. right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. kind of the point of a video game, right? It's like, well, yeah, have in fun fairness, feel accomplished. The people there are a select group of gamers out there who really just want the exploration mm-hmm. for the sake of exploration as a feature in their games. I'm not one of those people. Um, for example, like take a game like No Man's Sky. There was a lot of people who loved that game just for the fact that they could wander around. That they didn't really care if there was an overall progression or quest system or whatever. They just wanted to be in that world. And my biggest complaint about that thinking in relationship to Breath of the Wild is that the world itself wasn't compelling enough to just wander in. That I felt like there were so many different parts of that world that I would just walk through that I'd be like, this visually isn't even that interesting. Um, That the people I run into aren't that fantastic. And that the characters, you run into the same characters everywhere you go. It's like every stable I go to, the same dude with the nose paint and his backpack, Beetle or Bumble, whatever whatever his name is, he's there. And I'm like, could you maybe make a different guy at each of the stables? He's a franchise star. I'm not he, hating on him. He's I'm teleport. Sa- he's yeah. teleporting. <laughs> no, no, the I, under- I, I, I but, completely understand what you ladies yeah. are saying. And that, we'll talk all. about this when we get into our game of the year shenanigans. But yes. Yeah. But anyway, so to wrap up, you know, my thoughts, because um, I'm definitely going to play some different stuff. So I have some new stuff to talk about next week. But considering I've played quite a bit now of Assassin's Creed Origins and um, obviously like if you want to take it with a grain of salt that I'm a longtime Assassin's Creed fan, um, this to me absolutely cements itself in like my top three favorite Assassin's Creed games of all time right next to AC2 and AC Brotherhood. I didn't think that it would pass um, AC4 Black Flag because I loved Black Flag, but it has. Um, and I think that's because Bike as a character is so much deeper and he's got so many different sides to him and he's so much more interesting and I am super excited to play more of that game. Gushing about Bayek again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Britt, I am definitely excited though to hear you talk about Call of Duty World War II because I've been watching John play this game and I'm concerned it might be too intense for me. Oh, it's intense. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the intensity, it's... Okay, I'll get to that later. So this is the first... I played Infinite Warfare, but as we were discussing earlier, Infinite Warfare is just so much different than your typical what you would expect from a Call of Duty title in sense of futuristic space exploration shenanigans. So obviously this goes back to World War II and it tells the about the war tells the story through a farmer named Daniels and you get to you're him you're a private you're and you slowly like your missions build up in intensity and yeah so I am finding myself extreme so I'm I'm playing on a 4k tv I'm playing on the xbox one x this is a oh my god this game is beautiful and it's so smooth and buttery and creamy and all those like words we use to describe these games creamy you don't like that word it's creamy gross you out a little bit 
No, I guess not. But just in relation to a video game, it sounds weird. <laughs> so, I mean, when you go into a Call of Duty game, you expect that you're going to come ac- in the campaign is, by the way, the only thing I'm playing. You expect that you're going to come across some characters and you're going to have to build a, a relationship with them real quick because they're probably only going to be around for a couple hours before they're all going to get shot in the head. So you don't expect, though, to go into this with like Bioware type characters. But I will say I am very very drawn to these characters i may be four hours in so i assume i have like three hours left in the campaign um and i am i'm wanting to like after this podcast is over i want to hop back into this story and see where the story takes me and see what happens to these characters i'm very drawn i'm very much drawn to them and i'm finding myself (laughs) there's gonna be like a really like intense mission going on but i just stop everything and i just gawk at all the details and all the scenery because it looks like it's all been placed with so much care and thought that every room you go into tells almost a story of its own and it's super immersive and speaking on the intensity of it i don't remember the last time this happened with a game but um I will sit down feeling totally relaxed. I will stand up and feel buzzed. Like I feel like the adrenaline like going through me and it's a very strange feel or maybe it's the cold. I don't know, but it is. <laughs> but I, I do think it's the adrenaline It's really intense and it's extremely realistic. Lots of gore, lots of violence, as you would expect. But what's also nice is that they have broken up some of the missions there's a mission where you are playing as an undercover spy and that's a really nice break and it's really interesting because you really get to immerse yourself in your surroundings i love it i'm i'm super duper impressed by it and now granted i haven't played a call of duty game like this in many years so it's all sort of new and fresh to me so if you're someone who has played every campaign every year maybe this is more of the same to you but to me it feels new in a sense no um from from what i've seen and the very little that i've played um um, it it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like more of the same like mm. the the work that Sledgehammer and Raven have done on this uh, is really like masterclass like the the graphics alone like oh. the fidelity of the graphics in the campaign are off the charts um, I think that it rivals the best we've seen from Naughty Dog and I really think that they are like the high bar for graphics next to the cinematics that we see, you know, from someone maybe even like 343. But I think I think definitively, if you think about who's doing the best high-end cinematics right now and the graphics, I mean, oh. Naughty Dog is absolutely up there. Um, and this game blew me away um, with how beautiful this game <sighs> looks. Even on just like a regular like 1080p TV, mm-hmm. like on a 4K TV, it's bananas. Um, but on a, a regular 1080p TV, um, on a regular ps4 not even the pro it looks just gorgeous and the thing that i'm struggling because it looks so real is how emotional and how charged it is and how weighty it is because this is like the sledgehammer went out of their way to make sure that they were that they did this with the utmost care knowing how serious and how devastating the acts of world war ii were for millions of people and how it touched so many people's lives and how you know you can watch some of the dev diaries with them and they talk about how it was so important to get it right. They're like, we don't want to trivialize what happened. We mm-hmm. we know that we're making a game at the end of the day, but we want to take this with the seriousness that the material deserves and make sure that, you know, we do the right thing. And I think that they 100% did. And because of that and everything that I've watched, I had to stop, you know, like I had to stop playing and just kind of like watch John play because it's so cinematic and but it's just like 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back and finish that campaign because it's so rough. It It's really, yeah, intense and rough. That's a good way to put it. Um, like I was talking about earlier, you know, I stand up and I feel like buzz. And there is a mission that you are this undercover spy and you have to rendezvous with someone. And as you're walking through these halls, I felt immense pressure and I felt like I was this woman and I, I would feel awkward walking into a room where there's a whole bunch of Nazi officers because I'm like, crap. And then I'm like, okay, this is just a game. This is just a game. But it's really hard for games to do that. But it has nailed it. And I have to play it in short bursts because after a while, I'm like, all right, let's go play like Mario or something because it is, it's a lot. But it's so, it's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah, I love it. I can't recommend it enough. If if you're like, oh, Call of Duty, just shut up and play it. Trust me. Wow. No, seriously, it, it's 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 really well done. I mean, I think if you were to take off the the title Call of Duty, you know, and people would lose all that initial hate that they get. They'd be like, holy crap, this is an amazing game. And it's probably one of the best shooters I've ever played. It's so much fun and it's beautiful. Story is telling is so good. I can't say enough good things about it. Dang, because I, I was going to like skip it probably. No, but. don't. It's no, just more of like, like there's so like there's just so much. Yeah, that's more of what it is. It's like but Call of Duties are thankfully fairly short. Right. Well, and I think the thing that is easy for people to forget is that the reason why it looks so fantastic and it's so like really well executed is because Call of Duty makes so much money with their multiplayer offering. They have the funds to finance these really high end top tier single player campaigns. You know, like recently uh, we got a question on Games Daily about you know, do you think Call of Duty will ever go multiplayer only considering, you know, kind of like what's happening with microtransactions and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I don't because there are tons of people out there like me, like Brit, who play Call of Duty specifically for the single player campaign because they are known for their mm-hmm. amazing over the top, like popcorn action flick uh, single player campaign shooters. And there are so few of those these days. And it's really amazing that we have so much fantastic choice um in video games right now i mean talk about another fps single player campaign that's excellently executed you know wolfenstein 2 the new colossus also amazing but if you had to pick between wolfenstein and call of duty you know you also get the multiplayer with call of duty so it's like from a financial perspective it kind of makes sense but unless you don't play multiplayer well, unless you don't play multiplayer, um, in which case, then I don't. In which case, Wolfenstein would probably be because it's a little longer. Well, and like I think the the type of narrative in Wolfenstein is a little bit more engaging and not as serious, if that makes sense. Like they, there's a little they have, bit they more have levity a good balance there. of like lightheartedness in right. with the. And there's super none of that <laughs> in World War II. <laughs> yeah, it's just no, World all dark. War II is like super, super intense. But I mean, like, mm. I think that they also understand, like, you know, that they they went in there trying to mm. do something serious, you know, like a Saving Private Ryan kind of, you know, campaign, which is good. Mm-hmm. I think that it's good that they're that they took that risk because a lot of people don't. A lot of people who make games, you know want that escapism really want to make something that people have fun with um and not that you don't won't have fun with call of duty obviously (laughs) like it's designed for fun but that um i'm glad to see that they took such a serious approach on such a serious subject Mm -hmm. so okay um that was a lot of game talk but we'll have more game talk next week. I'm I'm definitely going to play Mario. It's gonna happen. Don't worry everybody. (laughs) 
Um, and we've got Star Wars Battlefront 2 around the corner, and I've got oh, Need for Speed Payback. Not, that was that not a note of Star out. Wars. That's just a note of more <laughs> things that I don't have time for. <laughs> um, but we'll do our best to to bring you some good hands-on impressions. Um, but for right now, we're going to take another short break. And when we come back, what are we going to talk about? Hmm, you're going to have to wait to find out. We'll be right back. everybody welcome back it's segment three and so we have a really special interview for this segment but before i get to that because it's the beginning of the month well mostly the beginning uh we have to give our turbo patrons their awesome shout outs so i have got the list here it is lengthy as always, that's we are so what grateful to our turbo patrons. So let's go ahead and dive right in. So we've got um, our sponsor, Take This, who has actually launched their own Patreon. If you guys hopefully listened to that ad, you will find out all those details. So please go check it out and support them like you support us. Um, we've also got Alex Rogopoulos, Lincoln Davis, David Iolucci, Stephen Insler, Tom Bach, Michelle Viegas, Kia Bright. Josh Kerwin, Eric Gim, Dustin Lewis, Tara Bruno, Kyle Heyman, David Cook, Sian Stevenson, Stephen McPherson, Aaron J. Saxton, Benjamin Pardue, R.J. Bryan, Elmo Shell, Bass Peterson, Carl Peterson, Molly Bittner, Nam H. Bowie, Jeffrey Hutchinson, Robert Guerrero, John Drake, Chris Rhodes, Bill Stillwell, Jason Erickson, Sam Baptist, Danny O'Dwyer, who is doing his new no clip on Horizon and Guerrilla Games, which looks amazing. Adam Rapone, Billy Shibley, Stephanie Fitzwilliams, Sam, Jason T. Barnes, Harrison Pink, Tommy Larson, Ross Haney, Jessica Salisbury, Mike Lynch, <laughs> Brittany is dancing with the Psychomancer, um, Anthony Murphy, Kyle Somerville, Oswaldo Sandoval, Ethan Anderson, Sydney Carr, Gio Corsi, Greg Fletcher, Elijah Steele, Duncan Stanley, Trevor Starkey, Marcus Brown, <laughs> the face you're making, Britt, I can't even. <laughs> Materia Addict, Joe Schleif, Annette Gonzalez, Ozzy Mejia, Christian Rodriguez, Nathan Drake. Nathan Drake? Is that a real name? Let's I don't think so, but <laughs> let's like pretend it is. Troy Spradlin, Grayson Moore, Louis Creech, Donato Sinicho III, Adam Boys, Tony Hahn, Lee Kendall, and my sweet, sweet mama, Teresa Enert. Ah, thank, thank you, you everyone. so much. To all of our Turbo patrons, we love you, and we couldn't be here without your support, and so we are incredibly grateful um, to you guys. But now, 
for this third segment. So I had the opportunity just ahead of BlizzCon to talk with William Collis, who is the co-founder of a site called Gamersensei.com. So Gamersensei is an esports coaching site. And I was really intrigued by this idea, this idea that people get training and work with coaches to get better at video games. And esports has clearly taken over the world. And, you know, with all of the tournaments at BlizzCon and everything that's happening, um, you know, in the world of MOBAs, I wanted to sit down with him and kind of pick his brain about what Gamer Sensei is all about and kind of how they got started. So um, let's take a look at that interview. When we come back afterwards, we'll have a little discussion about it. So enjoy. What's good, everybody? Andrea Renee here with a special interview for the What's Good Games podcast and videocast. I'm here with William Collis, the co-founder of Gamer Sensei. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thank you so much, Andrea. I really appreciate it. So Gamer Sensei, I kind of had an idea of what your company was before we originally started talking. But for people out there that aren't familiar, what is this service? Yeah, I mean, so basically the service is pretty straightforward if you actually think about it. It's coaching for video games. So the premise is, you know, you want to get better at, say, League of Legends or Dota or Hearthstone or I think it's 11 games we offer coaching for now. Um, you know, it, video games are a skill-based activity just like tennis or piano or soccer or painting. And, you know, for all skill-based activities, there's an infrastructure where instructors give you one-on-one -on -one lessons. And so that should exist for video games. And that's what we're creating with Gamer Sensei. So come to our website, you book a coach, and you have one-on-one -on -one instruction to improve at your favorite game. So this was a really interesting concept because clearly we all know about, you know, kids dreaming of wanting to be like a professional athlete when they grow up, like I want to be a football star or a basketball star, baseball, what have you. And now it's just only recently that the idea of being an esports star has really come about. So this idea of kids starting to train really early is something that is a concept that I think people are finally starting to talk about and grasp. And I think that you guys are really, you know, ahead of the curve there. I was looking at some of your coaches and there is quite a wide range of people. How do you source the people who coach on your site? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. Actually, there's there's two things in there I kind of want to dig into. So one is just who does coaching on the platform because it's not necessarily just people who want to go pro. It really is for anybody who wants to get more out of the game they love. You know, I, I think I'm a great example because I you know, I co-founded the business. I As much as I dream of Heroes of the Storm is my favorite game, as much as I dream of being like the world's best Heroes of the Storm player, it's not going to happen for me, let's be honest, right? Oh, I don't but, know, practice makes perfect, right? Well, but coaching has helped me improve so much and I get so much more out of the game. So absolutely, the more serious you are at the game, the better, like the more, you know, the more value potentially coaching will offer to you. And we have, I mean, we've had people go, you know, literally from zero to hero, go all the way to pro, you know, through coaching on Gamer Sensei. You know, a great example that is like, we had a guy called Remo who literally, he came to us as I think he he was maybe ranked 13 in Hearthstone, and he ended up making the you know the Swiss national team. So you know we have stories like that, but it really is. I mean, fundamentally, it's just like you don't have to get piano lessons to believe you're going to go play Carnegie Hall. It really is. <laughs> you know, if you love gaming, this is a good thing that you should try. But um, the question of how we get the coaches is sort of the secret sauce of Gamer Sensei because. Um, we have a really intensive screening process for who makes it on the platform. Um, I think it's fewer than 5% of the people who actually apply end up 
being accepted as a coach. Wow. And, and yeah, it's crazy to me. Um, you know, and when we started the business, right, like we didn't know how selective we would need to be or not be. Um, but, you know, what we saw pretty early on, and I think kind of, you know, one of our strengths is there are lots of people who are really good at video games, right? It's just like a good example of this is like Overwatch, for example. So Overwatch, there are, I believe, 75,000 Grandmaster players worldwide. That's that is crazy. A huge I had yeah. no idea it was that many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't like, it, it doesn't, that sounds like, wait, that's unbelievable because you think of Grandmasters, it's like a really unattainable thing. But the truth is, it's not that Grandmaster isn't hard to get. It's really hard to get and a really meaningful achievement. It's that so many people play Overwatch, you know, tens of millions of people play that game. So even if you're in the top half of 1%, it still is a huge number just because so many people play popular esports games today. So what we saw is it's actually you, you can get people who are good at, who are very good at the game. The harder part and the thing we really screen for is people who are good teachers, right? Because... You don't want to sit down and do a, um, you know, a, uh, a video game lesson with the 18-year-old from your Call of Duty lobby, right? That's not going to be that's, the best experience That's true, for you. yeah. And so most of what we absolutely screen on skill, it turns out that's the easier thing to do. Most of what we screen on is, are you a good instructor? Could you be taught to be a good instructor? Are you able to clearly and articulately describe strategies? Are you fun and pleasant to hang out with? Like all of those things are really the secret sauce attributes we look for in a coach because fundamentally games are fun coaching for games should be fun you need to enjoy your lessons and that's i think part of the secret to gamer sensei's success is we get these coaches who aren't just good at teaching like you have a great time with them that's really excellent to hear i mean we have events like blizzcon that's coming up this weekend and obviously yeah. there'll be some competitions happening there do you ever attend events like that to do recruitment Oh yeah, we do. We were at, um, we're not going to BlizzCon this year, but we were at BlizzCon last year. Um, we typically go to two or three big events a year. Um, but you know, honestly, our platform, part of, I think why Gamer Sensei is so cool and why it's a little bit different from say football coaching or other thing. And we realized this early too, is it really is a purely digital experience, right? So this is the type of coaching you need for say League of Legends. Literally, you could have the instructor in the same room as you, and it would be the exact same experience as connecting with them through the internet, right? Because what right. do they need to do? They need to watch the screen, they need to watch the game, and they need to be on voice comms and ping with you, right? And so where we like to go to events um, to you know, engage and show our product, and when we go, we always have live coaching, um, which is really cool, so we can you know, engage with fans in person. But um, for us, it, it really is. I mean, the cool thing about this is this isn't like tennis where fundamentally at the end of the day you have to be on the court together. This works just as well if you're in the United States and your instructor is in Germany or Australia. And so it's just so neat because we bring together literally people from all over the world to help you get better. That sounds really cool. So could you walk me through kind of what a traditional coaching session would look like? I, I saw that most of the coaches um, charge like by the hour. Um, yeah. Is it generally like a multi-hour session? Is it a single hour at a time? Do people book multiple sessions at once? Is there a game plan? Like how does it work? Yeah. So, it, I mean, this is an, another thing is it's, I'll kind of give you a general example, but fundamentally, I mean, the lessons are individualized. They're geared to you, 
right? So the coach will work with you on whatever it is you need to improve, or even if it's not saying you need to improve, what you enjoy the most, right, to get the most out of the session. So our typical model is, you know, we'll have somebody come to the site. They don't know what coaching is for, say, Hearthstone because they've never done it before. So they book a one-hour lesson and they love it. And so at that point, you know, there's different ways, but typically we actually have a big subscription business on Gamer Sensei. So these are people who book, just like you would book a tennis lesson, you know, Tuesdays from three to five, we have people booking, you know, 10, sometimes 15 hours a week of lessons. Wow, Uh, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, those are obviously, you know, bigger customers, but I mean, it's insane to me because again, I mean, it's, once you do it, it's sort of, it's a more fun way to engage with the game because it, you're getting more out of it. You have somebody who's an expert who's watching you, who's giving you advice. Um, and it's also just, there's something about playing with a coach that makes things feel a little bit more relaxed. You don't feel as alone. There's like, you know, I call it like a shield mate. That's probably not the right word, but like you have a buddy there who's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, in the trenches with you and has your corner. So, but a typical lesson, I mean, it, it really does, it varies to you, but they always begin with, you know, the coach starts by assessing you and understanding what you think you need to get better on. Um, what you like about the game, you know, how, what you think you might, what you might've tried in the past to improve that hasn't worked or hasn't worked as well. And then, you know, they'll start to customize sort of a plan for you to improve over time. So if you've booked one lesson, that plan will be for what we're going to do for the next hour. If you signed up for, you know, lessons every day for the next six months, it'll be, here's where we're going to be in January of next year, you know, but they try to work with you to set up milestones and objectives. And then, you know, you work with the coach. And again, the cool thing is it's adaptive. So maybe you get way better at jungling way quicker than you thought. And now your lesson plan shifts to be, okay, you've got to learn how to be a good support player. So you understand how to play with a support when, you know, you can't always snag your jungle role, things like that. So. That's really fascinating. I mean, the whole the whole idea of people playing to get better at video games, I think, is a little bit of a foreign concept for the vast majority of players because I think a lot of us think of games as a, a challenge that we want to overcome ourselves. But now that we're moving into an era as games as services and so many live service games are being developed and really pushed by the publishers, games that have multi-year life cycles yeah. where the, the fundamental gameplay mechanics really don't change at all. Um, I would imagine that a service like yours would be, you know, more and more desirable by players. But clearly there's an esports focus with the games that are selected on your site. Have you guys thought about integrating less competitive uh, tournament based games, maybe games like Destiny or games like, um, I mean, I guess Overwatch obviously has a very competitive aspect to Mm -hmm. it or even a game like Warframe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, those are good questions. I mean, you know, we always, we definitely want to have more titles on the site than we have today. We've grown a lot. I think we've we've added five titles in the past five months, maybe. So, you know, we're growing pretty quickly with the number of games. Um, you know, we ideally, would I offer coaching for everything? Absolutely. You know, I think ultimately, if you can get really good at a game, you should have a platform to share your knowledge and your skills. Um, I think there will always be more demand for some games than others. Like a great example is Dark Souls. You can get really, really good at Dark Souls. Part of the fun of Dark Souls is the struggle. It is dying. It is for the gamer. It is bigger. (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, good point. You know, but it is like kind of grinding it out. So will coaching be a market for Dark Souls? Probably, but I, I don't think it will ever be as big as, say, coaching for League of Legends or Dota or something like that. And it it goes to sort of, you know, what you said earlier, which is the market's changing. You know, it, it really is. It's a watershed moment from gaming. I mean, we're going from, you know, when I was growing up, competitive gaming was, you know, Quake at Comdex, and it was 32 people on LAN, and if you won, you got, you know, John Carmack's Ferrari, right? And that was like the height of competitive esports too. You know, now we have, you know, a multi-billion dollar company acquired by Amazon, you know, Twitch to live stream people playing games essentially competitively, you know, close to 24-7, you know, and we have, you know, massive tournaments like we talked about Overwatch, the Overwatch League. I mean, where you have massive traditional sports franchises buying in to establish competitive teams, you know, you have people like the New England Patriots, you know, I'm in Boston, my backyard going into Overwatch, not because they see it as a fun game that's going to have a big user base, but because they see it as the future of, you know, human competition. And that really is changing. I mean, even since we founded this company, it's been changing. I mean, you have colleges now launching um, massive scholarships for gaming, where there's a PR announcement with Gamer Sensei coming out tomorrow about we're partnering with a school to do something really cool. So a little too early to talk about, unfortunately. <laughs> but I mean, the market is, you know, shifting massively. And I, I do think it's it's cool because you, you couldn't have had a service like Gamer Sensei exists 10 years ago, right? You know, but today there is that shift and we can exist and do well. And so it's really exciting. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about how the, te- the way that the technology has changed has really allowed your business to not only thrive, but really just to exist. Uh, the screen sharing, for example, particularly on console, was something that wasn't readily available until really recently. Um, do you yeah. find the vast majority of your clients are on PC? Yeah, so we're definitely majority PC, I would say. Um, but that's probably more a consequence of the titles we've chosen to represent than where the audience is, right? I mean, we're doing games like League of Legends, Dota. Those are PC games, you know. <laughs> no matter how you slice it, you can't get on your, your Xbox One. Um, you know, I think the console audience is, is a portion of our user base, particularly for Overwatch, for example. And I think as we grow, we'll access more console gamers. Um, but I mean, the bottom line is if we have one of the games you play, come to Gamer Sense and we can get you a coach and you, know, you should try it out because you'll have a good time. Do most of your coaches work with you part-time or are there some people who do this full-time? Because I saw like the price range is quite a wide gap. I mean, like as little as $10 an hour, upwards of $100 an hour, which is yeah, you know, and, quite a bit. And yeah, sometimes even more than 100 actually for like, you know, big, big celebrities. But yeah, I mean, so it, it comes down to, you know, one thing we decided with Gamer Sensei earlier is we would let the coaches set their own price. And we would also let the coaches set their own schedule. So it was a very, I would say, coach-friendly platform. And the idea behind that is, you know, if you want to teach and you have the time to teach, we want you to be able to put yourself out there, right? So, you know, if you're probably for League of Legends H2K, you know, you're going to be expensive because you're coaching an LCS team. But if you have time and you want to do it, and probably does, so he's on Gamer Sensei, you can book him just like you can book a one-on-one lesson with Michael Jordan. You know, conversely, let's say you're a challenger level player for League, great, but you know, you're not on a major team yet. Well, you might be less expensive while you're waiting and auditioning for other things. And you also might have more time, so you might have more availability. So we're a pretty open platform in that regard. And the price reflects, you know, how often the guys want to coach and, you know, I think sort of their celebrity factor a little bit. Um, but we do have people, I mean, it's, it is crazy to me 
I can say this, but we do have people who do this full time. And I mean, more than full time, you know, like 50, 60, 70 hours a week of coaching. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, they're first and foremost, actually not even great players of the game, but great teachers. Because again, the real insight we have is it's great teachers first. That's what matters. But, um, you know, I'm really proud to be able to say, like, we're sort of creating this as a job. And these were gamers who beforehand, you know, were killer at World of Tanks. And then, you know, would go home and, you know, work a part-time job or a shift job or, you know, maybe they had a, a corporate thing, but they didn't love it. They loved gaming and now they get to game, you know, it's their, it's properly their full-time job and that's an awesome feeling. So, Are you guys looking to onboard more coaches in the future? Are you guys looking to like, obviously you're going to scale up, but if yeah. people are listening to this interview or watching this interview and going, hey, I think I could be a coach. Like, um, You obviously said you only take around 5% of applicants. Does that mean that you only hire at certain times of the year? No, so we have a rolling acceptance process. Anybody can go to Gamer Sensei, and it's at the bottom of the site. There's like an apply to become a coach button. We actually hide it because we get so many coach applications. I bet you we do. Like wanna, <laughs> it sounds like a dream like, job for a lot of people. People have to really look to find it, but trust me, it's there. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, and you can apply. And we have, I mean, you can apply any time of year. And we just there's sort of a rolling queue. It usually takes us about two weeks to look at an application, and then it's about a five step process after the first. Um, you know after you fill out your first profile. So I think a lot of people come and think like, oh, good, I get activated instantly. And like, no, we really screen. It really is a process. So, you know, you have to be committed. But we want that level of commitment from our coaches because if you're coming and you're a student and you're playing, paying, you know, $25 for a lesson, you want somebody who's professional and committed on the other end of the line. And so, you know, our screening process delivers that. But yeah, absolutely. We would always love more talented coaches, you know, so come on by. And then conversely, you know, I always have to go to the user side. You know, if you want to try this thing out, I mean, we basically have a money back guarantee. Come over, book a lesson. You will love it. I guarantee you. If you don't like it, email us at support, but that won't happen. You know, try us out. <laughs> no, it's, it sounds really fascinating. I will say though, you're missing my MOBA of choice, Paragon. Are you adding support for that uh, anytime soon? So stay tuned. There, we know that there are a number of excellent MOBAs that we don't yet offer today. Um, Paragon's certainly in there. Smite, there are obviously others. Um, just stay tuned. I think we're going to be adding more titles to the site. Our, as we grow as a company and we get more and more experience with adding games, we add games faster. So I think you'll be happy sooner rather than later. Well, I saw that you have PUBG on there. So I know that one's really popular right now. Yeah. PUBG's come out of no, oh, I, I say come out of nowhere. It really hasn't. I mean, but, but I it mean, has. I mean, I was doing news stories back in April where they were exclaiming how excited they were to sell 1 million copies. And now here they are over 15 million sold, not even a year yeah. later. You know, that's a pretty explosive growth. No, it is. I mean, and if you just look at the Twitch, I mean, you know, viewership on Twitch, I think it's the most popular game now. And it's been that way for two months. I mean, it's incredible. So yeah. So I mean, obviously, we partly add games based on market demand, right? I mean, you would have been amazed before we had PUBG coaching, how many emails we got saying, hey, when are you guys going to have I wouldn't PUBG be coaching? amazed. It would probably not be shocking. <laughs> and look, I get it because I played PUBG a fair bit myself. And it really sucks when you're like, you know, in the top 25 and then you get, you know, headshotted while looting a body because you weren't like wriggling back and forth, you know? Yeah. So I, I totally, you know, but, um, 
There is. And that's the cool thing about this business is there's lots of games we'd want to add. And by the way, I mean, you know, to your point, you know, I brought up Dark, but you brought up Destiny earlier. I would love to do coaching for Destiny, you know, one day. And I, I think that's somewhere we'll get to. But the focus of the business right now is sort of the most popular esports because that's where the most users are. And also, I think that's where the competitive gaming market is most mature. You know, things like the Overwatch League really help our business because now there's this clear sort of gold medal to aim for, right? There's a clear reward for success in the game. And as more things like that happen, you know, in esports, and that is the trend right now, um, you know, it'll unlock more portions of the market for us. Absolutely. Um, do you do any coaching from time to time? You would not want me as a coach, Andrea. <laughs> like I, the, the story, I didn't tell you the founding story. I started this business because I've, I've always been a little bit of a Blizzard gamer, so don't judge me, whoever's listening to this. I mean, but you're I've not Blizzard. alone. There's millions of you out there. Yeah. Well, you know, because I'm going to admit now that I really like Heroes of the Storm, which is sort of death in the MOBA community because it's perceived as sort of the more casual on that spectrum. But I loved Heroes of the Storm when it came out. And I was playing with a group of friends, um, and we sort of formed this semi-amateur team, and we tried to get more serious, and we just lost left and right. And I'll own it. We lost because of me. Oh, <laughs> and no. So, yeah. And so, you know, I was going to get kicked off my team with like my buddies. And I, I said, come on, guys, <laughs> you know, like, give me a chance. Let me get better. And so I went on this journey of trying to get better. I was watching streamers. I was on YouTube. I was on strategy sites and nothing was working. And finally I said, I'll, just, I'll get a coach. I assumed there would be coaching and there wasn't. And that's sort of what led me to start this business. So even though I'm much, much better at Heroes of the Storm today, um, you would still not want me as your coach. And honestly, I wouldn't pass our screening process because, you know, we're so selective. I, I'm not the best of the best. I'm really good. Um, I should do more lessons. Then I'll be the best of the best. But um, I, I will say maybe I have a sparkling personality, maybe, maybe 10%. <laughs> we can say that. It's about, it's about the only credit I'd give myself. Um, <laughs> Well, listen, this has been really fascinating learning about uh, Gamer Sensei. If people want to learn more about um, potentially becoming a coach or more importantly, if they want to, you know, hone their skills and uh, use some of these coaching services, where can they go? Uh, www.gamersensei.com and that's Gamer, G-A-M-E-R, Sensei, S-E-N-S-E-I. I always say like Splinter Sensei from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that doesn't date me too much generationally. So uh, yeah, check it out, Gamersensei.com. And um, yeah, and, and one thing I'd say is we really like, we get that coaching is new. If you have any questions, there's like a live chat window, there's email. We really answer everything. We're really there. So don't be afraid to reach out. I mean, we're a great company and it's easy to engage with us and answer your questions. We'll find the right coach for you. Well, William, thank you so much for your time today. And um, I look forward to checking out your site. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll get good at PUBG. <laughs> hey, hey, let me, let me know, Andrea. I would love to do a follow-up segment about how you constantly string chicken dinners together. So <laughs> Yes, that's my future. I see it. Yeah, All right, take care. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, ladies. So we just heard from Mr. Collis. Um, what did you think? Freaking fascinating. At first, I was like, how can this work? 
because <laughs> when you think of coaching for like a sport, you think of like a coach can tell you how to become stronger, like how to get your muscles all beefy because it's it's an act of physicality. But when you think of video games, you think everyone has the same opportunity. I mean, there's no physical barrier there. There's no strength barrier. But then I was like, OK, I'm still racking this in my head. It must all come down to technique. And what I thought was interesting in that interview, he even said that your coach might not be the best player, but they're a great instructor, which makes leads me to believe that they know the game in and out and they know like what buttons to push and when to push them. And that's what makes them a successful coach. Well, there's also things like um, so MOBAs in particular are great for this because they are so complex, like there's so many items to learn. There's so many characters usually that have different skill sets that you need to like wrap your head around. So essentially you're playing through the game with someone who is just like, like a regular teacher, I would mm-hmm. I assume would kind of give you a rundown of what's going on and, and how to get better. Um, which would have been super helpful for me as a league player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've all been there, right? Where we're playing a game that has a very steep learning curve. And what's frustrating about that is you have to like have your controller in one hand and your phone with like the Wikipedia on your other hand. So I can see why people would pay for the service for the convenience alone. Or like, and I thought his story was sad where he was like, my, I wasn't good enough for my friends to keep with me. <laughs> but I totally understand if your friends aren't necessarily good teachers, like that's a problem too, because then you're like, I just want to play with you guys, but you're not necessarily getting any better because they're maybe not be, they may not be designed to help you improve. Whereas if you, if you go to this service or whatever, then you can find somebody who can, who can work with you and mm-hmm. work with your play style. So I just say I think it's inter- I think esports is really interesting to me because it's not something that I am particularly interested in, but it's such a growing and um, just like a sorry I'm echoing in my ears and it's freaking me out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it's just it's a fascinating part of the industry to me, mm. partially because I don't understand it. Yeah, I what I really kind of got, took away from my conversation with him was that their f- focus is not just obviously player skill, which is necessary and essential, but also people who know how to teach and know how to instruct and are good instructors because that's such a skill set that a lot of people don't have. Being able to take plays or mechanics and break them down and make it digestible for people who are having trouble understanding. And I loved his example of, of PUBG about talking about how you know, getting headshotted while you're looting a body because you're not like wriggling back and forth. And that's just like, sometimes those things seem super obvious to some gamers and to other gamers, they're like, I guess I didn't even stop to think that that I, I would need to do something like that in order to prevent me from from getting shot, you know, because when you when you you generally would have to spend a lot of time watching a lot of pro streams or the you know, streamers who specialize in a specific game to get like the best tips and tricks, because I'll use my experience playing Paragon and I've put 500 hours into that game, but I haven't spent a su- substantial amount of time watching, you know, pro Paragon players play and getting like the techniques for like how to jungle properly, you know, which characters work best for which lanes. I've just kind of figured out my own formula. So I think that that makes me a very average player. You know, I'm generally silver league. I, I, I grasped gold league once and then I was like, you know what, I'm good. I'll just hang in silver and have fun. But if I ever wanted to, you know, really rise up the ranks and, and get better, 
you know, having a coach and having someone to be like, okay, you clearly have a foundation for this game and you want to play and you want to be better and you want to have more fun and you always have more fun when you win. <laughs> um, let's, you know, let, let's sit down for a couple of hours and I'll teach you some stuff that maybe you weren't thinking about. And I think that that's really cool that that service exists. And, you know, it's interesting to see what games that they're planning to add and, Overwatch being so huge, you know, I mean, he talked about, you know, the size of that audience, 35 million plus players now. And obviously, you know, with BlizzCon happening, they just announced a new character and, you know, they have a bunch of new stuff coming for that game. That's a game that I would like to get into and maybe, I don't know, maybe doing a couple coaching sessions would help me break through the struggles I've been having with <laughs> I think it's awesome yeah, too. Because it provides job opportunities, like legitimate job opportunities for people who have always dreamed about having a career in the video game industry. Um, and it sounds like, you know, there's a lot of it, the, the selective process, less than 5%. OK, but you don't have to be a professional in order to be a coach is is what the, what I got from that. And, and it's and it's awesome. He was saying there are people that were doing like coaching 50 to 70 hours a week. And I'm sure, you know, if people are charging anywhere from 10 to $100 an hour, like that's definitely a full time living. And that's I think that's really cool. And I can't see this going away as esports is just getting bigger and bigger. I think the demand for this is going to become higher and higher. And I think it's it's smart to get in now if it's something you're interested in. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. interesting that he also, you know, mentioned that there are um, people who have almost like a subscription service. Well, they'll, mm -hmm. he's like, it's like a tennis instructor where, where people will come like every Tuesday and Thursday from three to five, they've got their lesson and that they just have it on like a rolling basis. And they always just continue to come and work with the same coach every week. I was like, that's really, that's really fascinating. Uh, like, I, I guess because I'm so, I have to play so many different types of games and I don't have the luxury of being able to really devote a lot of time to a single game. I never thought that there would be such a demand for that. But now that, you know, we've had this conversation, I was like, of course, this makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I, that was a really interesting conversation. And, you know, thanks to William too, for taking the time to chat with me about Gamer Sensei and like he mentioned in the video. Um, if you guys want to learn more about their esports coaching services or if you just want to up your game with your friends and, and flex some new skills, <laughs> you can check out their coaching services at Gamersensei.com. And um, if you think you've got what it takes to apply for a coaching position, I wish you the best of luck, but it sounds like they have a very rigorous standards. Yeah. So um, bring your A game, I would say, <laughs> if you're, you're going to do that. Um, so ladies, that's probably going to wrap it up for us for this week um before we go Britt, do you want to just remind the folks out there who may have missed this epic series we did on facebook what that's all about so we just did an amazing facebook watch series called lights off and you can find it if you go to facebook.com slash lights off show where we played very scary very butt clenching very <laughs> games that made us sweaty video games and it was a lot of freaking fun i had so much fun so I'm, sweaty it was so sweaty and i pulled a muscle in my sternum I legit did. And it was fantastic. But please check it out. I am on that page daily. I'm looking at all of the comments. Please let us know how you liked the show. Give us your feedback. We love you. It was really funny um, being so heavily involved in the edits of that show. <laughs> 
Because, man, particularly in the Slender the Arrival episode, <laughs> the amount of screaming oh, from man. Britt and Steimer is just like off the charts. And like there was a point where I made a joke to Steimer that I was like, I was worried about like content ID picking up the videos because she's constantly singing to like distract herself from the <laughs> scariness. It's just like a different song every minute, just singing, 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 trying to try not to be scared. And I was like, there's no way that they will ever like my singing's not that good. It's way better than you think it is. You're not giving yourself enough credit. <sighs> not when I'm scared singing. And I'm just like, um, <laughs> this is fine. Oh, God. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. Again, that's facebook.com slash lights off show. We'd appreciate it if you guys could give us a follow there and um, check out some of those videos. Um, of course, once again, a big thank you to all of our patrons. Don't forget to keep an eye on your inbox. You will be getting details about your patron exclusive content coming next week. And of course, the return of Alexa Ray Correa for the Life is Strange episode two spoiler cast, which is going to happen next week. And um, yeah, don't forget, we have merch for sale, uh, whatsgoodgames.com. You can head there and there's a little merch store button. You just click on it and it'll take you right to our store and you can check out your stuff. You guys have been sending us more photos. Thank you. We love getting them. Um, and um, I think that's it. I think that's all I've got. I think we got to go play a bunch more games. So many more. <laughs> I'll stay away from Divinity. Andrea stays away from Assassin's Creed. Steimer, you stay away from the SNES Classic. <laughs> Not a problem. It's at the office. <laughs> Thanks so much for watching, everyone. Have a fantastic weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye!